Royals Review Radio. I am Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, and later on I'll be joined by Sean Newkirk and Matthew Lamar to discuss the Nicky Lopez promotion, and we'll also talk about who's part of the Royals' future and who isn't. But first, I'm joined by a special guest. Paul Boyd covers the Northwest Arkansas Naturals as a beat writer for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Paul, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so for anyone unfamiliar with the minors, the Naturals have been the AA affiliate of the Royals since 2008. And I think AA is typically where they like to have their top press prospects spend a full season to be challenged by other top prospects. And Royals fans will get a first first look up close this week at Nicky Lopez, who spent some time in Northwest Arkansas. He was there for parts of 2017 and 2018, playing in 132 games in all. And he hit 298 with a 360 on base percentage. Paul, we know he's a player that makes contact and doesn't strike out much, but tell us a little bit more about Nicky Lopez and, and kind of fill out the profile that profile of him that we can't get necessarily from the stats well it's i mean he's a guy we were able to watch him really just progress and and you know when i've talked to to people in the royals organization they talk about you know that that very thing they talk about progression and learning and and in double a i think he really you really got to see that you get to see him mature as a hitter and mature as a player overall, and I mean, he's just—he's turned into a really good all-around player. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting to me is how much praise he gets from his coaches. Uh, I think Jamie Quirk, who managed him, I believe at Wilmington, um, he was saying the guy's glove is major league ready. You know, a couple years ago, and uh, he seems like he just gets a lot of praise for how he follows the game and and what a gamer he is. So I'm—I think a lot of Royals fans are just really excited to see that in Kansas City. Uh, you know, another top prospect. That Royals fans, uh, you know, maybe won't get to see maybe for another year or so is Khalil Lee. Uh, he's he's at Northwest Arkansas now. He was promoted there last year about midseason. This year he's hitting uh, off to a little bit of a slow start, but he's come on recently. He's hitting 254, uh, 11 steals, two home runs, just nine extra base hits though. Uh, you know, from what you've seen of Khalil Lee so far, what's kind of your impression of him? And is, do you think there's more power there that they can get out of him? I I do think there's more power there, and I mean that's. Again, something Vance Wilson always said is yeah, they they do. They mature as hitters, and, and the power, a lot of times the power is going to come is what I always heard from him is, you know, they, you're going to understand the strike zone become a little bit better uh, at, at hitting strikes and laying off pitches outside the strike zone and, and squaring things up and the power comes. So, yeah, I really do. And I, I think. Uh, Khalil Lee is one of those guys. Just, just what I said. I think a, a full season here in Northwest Arkansas in the Texas League, you'll start to see him ma- mature as the season goes on. And I wonder too if he if he does you know really have a good second half. I mean, it's not out of the question to think he could get maybe a cup of coffee at the end of the year with the Royals if they want to bring him all the way from Double A. So that will be interesting to see. I think ideally he would be able to stick in center field. Uh, because the Royals kind of, there's not really an heir apparent in center field right now. I think they're trying different solutions. Bubba Starling could be a factor. But I think Khalil I think ideally would be that guy. How has his defense looked so far to you? I mean, we, we know he has some pretty good tools out there. Uh, but, you know, you know, we need more than tools. You know, you got to learn how to play the position. How has his defense looked so far to you? Absolutely. You know, and, and I, I do. I think he has a future as a center fielder. It's funny you should bring up defense because, the Naturals as a whole have kind of struggled defensively, and and that kind of surprised me. I mean, they the last time I looked, they were leading the Texas League in errors, and as of as of Sunday, they, that led that had led to like forty unearned runs, which was the most in the league. And I was a little shocked at that because coming in, uh, the the roster itself, when I talked to Daryl Kennedy, we talked about their athleticism and overall speed. So I'm like, well, you put overall athleticism and speed in the field, that should lead to a good defense. But, well, in this particular case, at least not overall, that ha- that hasn't happened. Yeah, that's interesting with what an emphasis the organization has put on defense that you'd have a club struggling. Maybe it's just some early struggles. And, of course, that you know you have to learn to develop a glove just as like you would have to learn to develop a bat. So, so hopefully they can work that, those issues out. And let's turn to that this year's natural squad a little bit. They went 70 and 70 last year, but of course, with the minor league teams, you know, the personnel changes quite a bit year by year. They've struggled this year with a 13 and 22 start. You mentioned some of the defensive issues. What else is kind of factoring into their slow start this year? 
Well, they've and they've also, if you look, they they've lost a lot of close games, mm-hmm. and their bullpen and their bullpen has been a problem. I mean, they they have not been consistent in the bullpen. Uh, just like last weekend, I believe it, it was either Saturday or Sunday. They had a five to one lead going into the into the ninth and got beat six five. Gave up a, a pinch hit grand slam, which and gave up five in the ninth. So you know, I mean, that's that one hurts. <laughs> It sounds like they're really reflecting the major league club in that respect, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But that's, you know, and, and they have some guys I think they, they like, but but they're just going through some struggles right now. Well, like the major league team, too. I mean, you can have a slow start, but maybe have a few guys excel. And, you know, I think the Royals are seeing that with Mondesi and Hunter Dozier, who's really come on. So there can be some bright spots. Who has kind of stood out for you on this natural ro- Naturals roster so far, maybe with an, a good early start, or at least maybe a guy who has shown some good tools, maybe hasn't seen it you know, in the stat sheet yet, but you think could come around? Well, obviously, Gabriel Cancel, Cancel is one that, that has drawn some attention. And, I mean, he's uh, 11 doubles, if I'm not mistaken, as of last night. And that leads the Texas League. Uh, six home runs, uh, hitting, again, with some good power. And, uh, and that's kind of interesting to me because, a year ago when I talked with uh, J.J. Pacola prior to the season, kind of talking to him about kind of the state of the minor league system and talking about, you know, different guys, and I asked specifically, I was like, hey, can you tell me a couple of guys that that maybe your your club and your people are higher on than, than the, you know, the, the Baseball America people and, all, and the services and all of those people? And Gabriel Cancel was one of those people he mentioned immediately and said, "Hey, we like we like this guy." And uh, actually, another guy who who he mentioned who is on the Naturals right, is Emmanuel Rivera. Those are two guys that they said they the the people in their system really really like. Feel like they're both really good hitters, and again, professional type hitters that they feel like can progress. So, it, and it that's showing up right now because uh, Rivera is also. Uh, swinging the bat pretty well here in the last couple of weeks. That's interesting because Cancel is a guy that one of our writers, Sean Newkirk, who follows the, the minors quite a bit, he's been he's been pretty high on Cancel for quite a while. So uh, I, I know he's really pleased with with the hot start for him. And he and he's he's a second baseman, although I think he's played a little bit of third. I mean, how how's his defense look? Is he a guy that can that can stick at that position, or is he going to have to move to another position someday? Well, I think second base probably is is where he played. Now here here in the last week or so. He's been forced to play a little shortstop because Featherston was was injured, mm-hmm. and he's 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 struggled. He's made a few errors there at shortstop, but I, like I said, second base. I, I really think second base is the position for him. Yeah. The Royals fans are a little bit familiar with the catcher at Northwest Arkansas, Mabry's Valoria. Uh, we saw him in a cup of coffee last year with the Royals at the end of uh, the season. Looked actually really impressive. Uh, you know, his glove looked really good, and he actually held his own against major league pitching. Played pretty well in the Arizona Fall League, and I think he had a pretty good winner as well. He's really struggled with the bat this year. Uh, can you talk a little bit about his struggles? What's 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 kind of going on with him? Well, and I mean, again, I I think it really is just going back to what what I've said already. I think it's just he needs a little time mm-hmm. I, the, the, you know talking to the people there with the Royals they love his tools they, they love his work ethic they they think you know he's going to be a really good player for them it's just not quite his time yet and he needs a little time here yeah and he's still very young I mean 22 years old I mean uh, to be at that exactly. level of double A that's 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 just to be at that level at that young age and I think you're looking for a glover's guy and if he can hit a little bit well that's just icing on the cake you know the Royals. I think the the you know we've they've gotten some good performances from young position players this year. What they really need is is, is some more pitchers to kind of come up the pipeline. Uh, what are there is there an arm or two in Northwest Arkansas that you think could contribute with the Royals here in the next year year or two? Well, I know the the guy who's who's kind of showed some some promise here uh, is Connor Green, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you know the one thing they. Lots of different people have pointed to, and even he, when I visited with him a little bit, is you know he's cut his walks down. So I mean, if you're not walking people, you're getting ahead and counts a little better. Then you know you, the results probably going to be better, and, and it has. And but he and he's got some stuff. I, I I was reading a couple of things myself. What a couple other people had written about him, but I I like him. I've seen him three times that I know maybe a four for sure three times. And he's pitched, he pitched really well twice and, and okay the third time. But but uh, I think he's definitely one that I think they, they like the, the direction he's headed. 
And he was a waiver claim from the Cardinals organization, so if the Royals got anything from him uh, as a contributor in the big leagues, I think that would be quite a steal to get that. And, and uh, yeah, he certainly has a great velocity that, that could be promising uh, as a starter or a reliever, I think. So, yeah, he'd be, it'd be nice to see him have a nice season at double-A this year. I want to kind of wrap up a little bit, um, just talking a little bit about Vance Wilson. He uh, managed the Naturals for a couple seasons uh, from 2014 to 2017. Now he's a Royals bullpen coach. We know Ned Yost uh, is, you know, probably going to retire in the next couple of seasons, maybe even this year. Um, the Royals have kind of hinted that maybe that his successor would be in the organization. I think Vance Wilson would probably be at least considered. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Vance Wilson, what kind of manager he is, what he brings to the table, and, and what his, uh, uh, you know, how you think he might fare as a major league, major league manager? Well, I mean, to, to start, I guess to start with the last thing you said, I, I think the guy, there's not any question in my mind, I feel like he's going to be a major league manager. Uh, is it for the Royals? I don't know. But I, I really believe the guy's going to be a major league manager at some point here in the not-too-distant future. He really, really knows how to manage people, okay, first and foremost. And you talk to lots of different people, and, and that's one of the first things that they'll tell you about him. I mean, the knowledge of the game and all of that other stuff, is there i mean that's kind of a thing but he really knows how to manage people and uh, and that's a huge thing you know, to be a major league baseball manager yeah and it seems to be you know you can we can criticize ned yost all you want about his tactics but it seems like what he excels at is managing that clubhouse kind of keeping everyone happy and on the same page and i think yeah turning it over to someone who has that same ability i think would be great for this organization especially someone that's probably familiar with some of the players uh, that are already on that mm-hmm. roster. So, uh, yeah, that may be uh, a really great quality to have as Royals manager. So to keep up with the Naturals, you know, definitely read the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. You can read it online at nwaonline.com. And definitely follow Paul for all the latest minor league news. He does a great job covering the Naturals at NWA Paul B. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'd be happy to visit with you anytime. Thanks yeah, a lot. Definitely. We'll have you on later on, on this year, when maybe when the the team looks a lot different. We know the first half and second half can be a lot different for Northwest uh, for a different minor league team. So, yeah, we'll definitely like to have you on later this year. Thanks so much. And we're back. And joining me now is, as usual, is co-host Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Hi, Max. Good. Thank, uh, happy to be here. Happy to talk to the uh, the old gang again. Also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, thanks so much for being on the show tonight. Yeah, of course. Well, it finally happened this week after weeks of fans clamoring for it and articles at Royals Review and tweets at Rustin Dodd and Jeffrey Flanagan asking why, why, why won't Nicky Lopez be promoted to the big leagues? The Royals finally announced on Monday that Nicky Lopez is going to be called up and make his major league debut. Uh, it's kind of an about face for the team. It came just a few days after Dayton Moore addressed the media and kind of explained why the team wasn't bringing him up. And they kind of argued that they wanted to get him some regular playing time. They were concerned about Whit Merrifield getting hurt in the outfield. And so, you know, where exactly would Nicky Lopez fit into this roster? And Matthew, you wrote an article on Monday kind of questioning Dayton Moore's explanations and saying, well, you know, that doesn't really make sense. So, do you think your article actually convinced Dayton Moore to call up Nicky Lopez? <laughs> I hope. I don't. I don't think it did, though. Rustin tweeted uh, shortly after they announced that Nicky Lopez was being called up that they made the decision Saturday nights. And also, uh, I don't believe Lopez was in Sunday's game in Omaha, and he wasn't in Monday's game. So that timeline checks out. But I, sh- I sure, sure wish I did. That'd be nice to have that power, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to, like, you know, say, hey, uh, you know, Nicky Lopez extension, or I don't know what other extensions you may, or maybe some sort of trade, uh, feel please, please feel free to use your powers of persuasion for that. But, but Sean, like, it, it is kind of curious that they make this move after kind of, and it almost seems like they're backpedaling. And to me, like, I, I look, I, I get why they didn't want to call up Nicky Lopez now, or and, and and I was, you know, like, if they don't want to come up to call him up till June, that's fine. I'm, I wasn't, like, nearly as angry as a lot of fans are about seeing him, you know, in Omaha while Chris Owings is kind of sucking it up at the big league level. But what kind of does concern me is that it doesn't seem like they really have a plan. And they kind of knew going into this year that, hey, we have Adalberto Montesi at short, Whit Merrifield at second, 
And we've got this guy who plays, you know, either one of those positions that's probably one of our top prospects, at least at the AAA level. And it didn't seem like they kind of knew what to do with that situation. What do you kind of make of, of their kind of about face? And, and what do you think, uh, what do you think it means for, for their plan with this, with this, uh, with Nicky Lopez going forward? Yeah, I thought the whole, I, I think the back pedal is the right word because like someone tweeted out that they tweeted out that things had changed. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and this was literally an interview like three days ago that Moore said that they, you know, essentially weren't ready for Lopez or, or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know what changed over the, you know, in the past two days. I mean, if, uh, someone was injured or someone was traded or, um, you know, some drastic event like that happened, then, okay, that makes sense. But like I, I, nothing, there's, there's no difference now between, you know, now and Saturday or Sunday or even Friday or um, even last week, really, it's. I mean, it's not like Lopez like had a really good week. He's had a pretty good year all around. So, um, yeah, I was kind of frustrated a bit by all of this. Backpedaling might not be the right word, but all of this, you know, oh, we want to save Merrifield's legs. Uh, oh, we, you know, things aren't quite ready yet, or you know, um, you know, the old Vlad Jr. excuse that we got to work on his defense. You <laughs> know, I mean, there's just so much of that that goes on. You know, that I, I don't know, glad we didn't have that. And it seems like you could just kind of get past all that with just a simple, you know, we don't think he's ready for the big leagues yet and just leave it at that. You don't have to get in all these specifics on, you know, why you're not bringing him up. Cause I think that probably was the reason. I mean, they probably just wanted to be super patient and super, um, you know, cautious with, you know, a guy who's really one of their only top, uh, you know, uh, prospects at the higher levels. Um, but I don't know. My, I guess my thinking is that, so at the beginning of the year, when they cut Brian Goodwin, suddenly, they were asking Whit Merrifield to play more outfield, and I think that kind of caught him off guard a little bit. I may remember, I remember, I could be misremembering, but I, I'm pretty sure he had a comment, something like, you know, I want to play second base, and, you know, I, you know, something like, I wish I had prepared a little bit more to play outfield if that was their plan for me. It's almost like that wasn't really what he was expecting going into this year. He was kind of expecting to be the everyday second baseman, and so that kind of threw him off guard. And, you know, he started like 10 of the first 13 games in right field. And so I don't know if he brought those concerns to the Royals or, or whatever, but he started to play a lot more second base after that. And so when there was this talk about Nicky Lopez coming up, I think, you know, maybe there was a little bit of resistance on Witt's part. Not that I don't, you know, I'm not trying to portray him as a bad guy. I think he's probably earned that right to say, look, I'm playing second base. I'm a really good second baseman. I'm your best hitter. You don't want to get me hurt in the outfield. Uh, and so I can, I, and I'm sure they want to accommodate him being, you know, him being their, their best player. So, you know, maybe what changed over this weekend is Whit finally said, "Okay, look, I'll I'll do what's best for the team. I'll make some room for this kid, and I'll play right field. But you guys got to, you know, maybe that you guys got to figure it out, you know, long term because I don't know if he's going to be playing right field the rest of his, you know, tenure here in Kansas City. But um, but I think that's what changed. But what I guess strikes me is that they didn't they didn't have a plan going into this season. Like they didn't prepare Whit to play right field or prepare Nicky Lopez." To, to try outfield or try third base, to try another position to increase his utility, Matthew. And I just, it, to me, it just kind of frustrates me that there doesn't seem, seem to be a long-term plan for Nicky Lopez. And I think that's kind of been the most frustrating part for me. I don't know what, what about you? Yeah. For, I mean, for me, uh, the most, the, the weirdest and most frustrating part about this whole saga, it's not necessarily um, Nicky Lopez himself. Um, you know, he could be a good player. He could be a great player. He could turn out to be nothing. You know, that's not really the point. The point is the Royals had a guy who can clearly help the team now and probably help the team in the future. And they had someone at shortstop who they clearly like long-term. And they had someone at second base that they clearly liked long-term. And Nicolo Lopez plays both of those positions. And you're right, he has... The Royals had like a bunch of different options. If I mean, if it was up to me, and I was in the Royals' position, and I really liked Mondesi at shortstop and uh, Merrifield at second base, I'd probably teach, or at least try Nicky Lopez at third base, and then he plays all three infield positions. You know, it makes sense. Then he can be like a, an infielder super utility guy. And but they they didn't do that. It's and then the whole thing with they said to the press reasons why they weren't calling him up and then two days later with no change in any of those reasons they said okay it's it's time like it 
it, it, it's it's just so confusing in any sense. Um, and it's really kind of um, indicative of how the Royals handle any of their prospects that's not um, the Eric Cosmers of the world or the Mike Moustakas of the world. It's been pretty consistent throughout Morris' tenure. I mean, this uh, somebody pointed out, Maybe it was just was it Yushan that like the same thing happened to Will Myers like he was clearly ready in twenty eleven. Yeah. Right? yeah, it was my it was my yeah yeah. That thought about it. Exactly, and he was like clearly ready, and the world was like, no, 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 no. We like Jeff Frank War, and I mean that's fine, but like you could have taught Myers to play center field, right, or tried him at first base, or any number of things, and they they didn't do that and then he just didn't debut for the Royals he debuted for the Rays it's 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 just so so bizarre and yet so like comforting in sort of a masochistic <laughs> way that nothing has changed well let's talk a little bit about Nicky Lopez the player what Royals fans should expect um, he was a uh, drafted out of the uh, Creighton University as a fifth rounder in 2016 not a big guy. He only stands at about uh, five foot eleven, which is a little shorter for, I guess, today's modern baseball player. Uh, hits left-handed, uh, plays shortstop and second base. Uh, hit three fifty-three with a four fifty-seven on base, three home runs in thirty-one games, nine steals for Omaha this year. What's really remarkable about him? He had twenty walks, just five strikeouts. He had the second lowest strikeout rate among every single minor league baseball player in America this year. Uh, which is really remarkable. Always been a low strikeout guy, can put the ball in play. Uh, he actually spent some of last year with Omaha as well. So in 88 games with Omaha, he hit 304 with a 396 on base percentage. So, Sean, tell us a little about, about Nicky Lopez as a ball player and what Royals fans should kind of expect going forward. Yeah, Lopez is a guy that I've kind of not classically liked profile wise. Um, I ranked him fourth in my list. Um, you know, he's a guy that can play, can maybe not play everywhere, can play a lot of different positions, specifically up the middle. Um, the only, you know, he's good defender, good contact skills. As you mentioned, he's, you know, uh, among the leaders in strike rates, the good, the good side of it, not the bad side of it. Um, so a lot of contact skills there. And actually has a pretty good uh, approach to the plate. He's not like someone like uh, Esudio of the Twins, who's just, you know, swinging everything and has good back control, can hit everything. Lopez actually um, has a pretty good idea up there. The only kind of issue, I mean, you're looking at a guy who's probably an average, maybe a little better above defender, um, probably 50 or better hit tool. Um, the only thing really lacking is going to be just the power. And that's the kind of the big thing that's kind of kept him down. I think maybe not just on my list, even though ranking him fourth doesn't feel like I kept him down. Um, I kind of, you know, half of me had to kind of convince the other half of myself that, okay, he needs to be a little higher than some of these guys like a Nick Prado or an MJ Melendez who, yeah, have better overall tools than someone like Lopez. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's already in AAA, who's hitting pretty well, um, college hitter, can already has contact skills. Um, but the big, the big detractor of Lopez is going to be the power. And that's the thing is it's tough to be a powerless hitter. Um, in today's game, and that's a bit what Lopez is. So while he's probably not a star, and I think his AAA numbers are a little exaggerated in the sense that you know you're not probably expecting him to have hit three, you know, twenty with a you know three eighty, four hundred OBP. But um, he is a guy that you know is going to make contact, and um, you know it's not like a D Gordon slap hitter type, but um, it's it's a, it's actually kind of a weirder profile. It's not one I think exists that often in today's game. Um, but uh, it's a guy that you could, you know, have around for for a decade or more, and, and I'm sure he'll uh, probably have a, a, I wouldn't say a long career, but I'm I'm fairly certain he'll be around for several years in some capacity, if if not with the Royals, with someone else. And just the intangibles that he brings, I mean, everything that the coaches, his coaching, like his uh, minor league coaches and, and and everyone that's been around him, have really raved about, like what a great teammate he is. He's a gamer who's always picking up little little things in the game, and it's always ready to run through a wall for you. It seems like the kind of personality that the Royals love. You mentioned the power a little bit. It is interesting. Like he, his home run power, he had nine home runs last year, which isn't great, but it also isn't just totally powerless. And he already has three this year, but he only had 14 doubles last year, seven triples. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, th- I, would, I would have guessed he had more gap power than he does. And maybe, you know, hitting in Kauffman Stadium will help that a little bit. 
But uh, yeah, I think you're right. That like that's certainly not the kind of power that I think you see out of a lot of middle infielders these days. But um, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like with these other skill sets, uh, especially being a great defender and bringing some speed to the table as well, uh, that could be a pretty successful formula, I, I think. And and Zips at least projects him to be a, a one to one and a half wins above replacement player uh, in his rookie season, which would be uh, pretty uh, outstanding, I think. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at him, I mean, if you just see him, it's really weird because like, I, I don't know if there's really anybody else in the majors who is, is similar to him and, and, and his physical sense. Um, Cause I mean, he's really, really tiny guy. I mean, he's uh, what is he? He's listed at five eleven, one seventy five, And, I don't know. I might take the uh, I might take the under on the weight as well. Um, so I don't know. It's weird. There's not a lot of guys that profile like him necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know we'll we'll have him have his debut, and uh, he has a chance to be. The list isn't long, but there's only five players. Well, six players in. Um, well, actually, one, two, three non-pitchers who went to Creighton um, that. Uh, uh, have positive war. Do you know who? I'm going to trivia you here. Who has the highest war among Creighton University draftees? Would it be Bob Gibson or is he before? The, he was probably before the draft. Yeah, I um, think so. Uh, Creighton. Yeah, yeah I don't it's know. weird. Yeah, I don't know. There's, it, with the commanding lead is Dennis Rasmussen. Oh, the, former uh, Royal. He's one time Royal. Yep. yep. Uh, and then Scott Service is the second. But he's a catcher. But anyways, yeah. uh, anyways, go Jays. Yeah, they have a pretty decent program too. So that's kind yeah, of surprising they, they haven't produced more players. But uh, yep. yeah, so I guess how do you see the the playing time going forward for him? Because I mean, we we, we haven't changed that formula. I mean, Merrifield is still on the team. I guess he's going to play a little bit more right field. Uh, I don't know if we'll see him there every day. Montesi's at shortstop. Uh, it's they've said that Lopez is going to be kind of the everyday second baseman. Um, it, do you see that? kind of being the formula going forward or are we going to be complaining are we going to have an article at Royals Review a week from now that says why isn't Mickey Lopez playing every day and I feel like we're going to have an article a week from now saying why is <laughs> Mickey Lopez not playing every day um, because like even literally two days ago or three whatever however long it was um, um, we heard that they wanted to save Merrifield's legs and now it's like oh well you know you you cannot play you could you cannot play Merrifield, Gutierrez, Montesi, and Lopez on the same infield unless one of them is playing first base, which means you can't play Dozier or you can't play O'Hearn, and they're not going to do that. Um, so someone's got to go to the outfield, and we know that that's not going to be it probably won't be Montesi. Um, it can't be Gutierrez because he can't play the outfield. So it's going to be, and it's probably not Lopez because he's never really played the outfield either. Um, going to be Merrifield or you try Mondesi in center field, but then you've got Hamilton, you've got Gordon, you've got the weird right field going on, and I'm still not convinced they're done with um, Chris Owings. So, like, yeah, I think we're all very happy to have Lopez up, but part of it's like, okay, now what are they going to do with him? Yeah, moving Merrifield to the outfield, I mean, they said that his legs are at risk of getting injured, but I don't know. At second base, you take a pounding with guys, you know, coming in to break up double plays, and I know they changed the rules a little bit on that, but you're still getting guys coming at your legs a little bit. I almost feel like the outfield might be actually be better for him a little bit longer term for his health. Matthew, how do you kind of see the Royals lining up now with Lopez in the mix? Is he actually going to get the playing time that we want to see, or is Ned Yost still going to rely on his veterans? I would guess he gets regular-ish playing time, you know, maybe at least three days a week. But honestly, I have no idea because um, as the Royals have so shown with the saga over the last few days, I don't believe anything that they say anymore. <laughs> right? So if they were to say, yeah, we'll get him regular playing time, like that means nothing. And if they say, yeah, we're going to play Whit Merrifield in the outfield or we're going to play, you know, any specific thing, like I, I just flat out don't believe them on any of the things that I say about the situation. My guess is that he'll play second base. Knowing Ned Yost and how he likes to have his shortstops every single day, um, my guess is that he'll play second base more often and that Whit Merrifield will play right field. Um, I don't personally think that they're going to have much of um, Nicky Lopez getting playing time, if only because 
Merrifield and right field is so clearly an upgrade defensively over Solaire. Um, but yeah, long term, I do wonder if um, if Mondesi might make a move to to center field, right? Um, in the minors, I mean, you've got Bubba Starling, who is still just a big question mark. He hasn't even debuted yet, so you can't really consider him into the the plans, you know, unless he forces his way um, in. Um, but other than Starling and Khalil Lee, um, who's in delay right now, there's not, like, a whole bunch of players who are, like, really intriguing center fielders. Um, I mean, you've still got, you've got like Nick Heath and Blake Perkins and Rudy Martin and those kind of guys, but they're not, they're the kind of guys that if they make it, they make it. They're not guys that you make plans about. So I wonder with the Royals and their oodles of middle infielders, if Mondesi won't end up playing some center field. And then that's easy. Whit Merrifield plays second base and then Nicky Lopez plays shortstop. Um, so I do wonder if that will happen. I don't uh, have any opinion or guess if it will, but I think that's a possibility. It's a possibility they've raised before in the past too. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting if they made that switch. I mean, Montessi, I think, gives you a lot more upside defensively at short than Lopez. And I'm Sean, you could probably speak better of this than I can, but my understanding is that Lopez is a solid defender, but not necessarily a plus guy at shortstop. Whereas Montessi, I think, probably at least has that potential to be. Um, and so you're probably yeah. downgrading there at shortstop where, and then teaching a guy who's very athletically gifted, a whole new position. And we don't, so we don't know necessarily what Montessi would do in center. I mean, he's obviously got the skills to be a great ball hawk, but it takes a little bit more than that. You also need to be able to, you know, run routes and, and get to the fly balls and have a good arm. And, and, and we'll have to see if you can make that transition, but if they end up doing that, but yeah, that, that could be a possibility as well. Um, you know, we touched upon Chris Owings a little bit. This probably means he's going to get less playing time. The Royals have already kind of suggested he's going to get a little bit less playing time before this, before Lopez was even called up. But is he maybe in danger of losing a roster spot? I mean, he has been so bad, and a lot of the justification for keeping him on the team was, well, they needed a backup shortstop. Well, they don't need that anymore because Nicky Lopez is on the roster. Sean, can you see the Royals kind of, cutting bait on their $3 million investment in Owings and, and finally saying enough with the Chris Owings experiment? Yeah, I don't know because um, I have that, I, I came up with that, uh, the Duda Wood um, line, the Duda Wood salary where they make certain amount and um, Chris Owings is above the Duda Wood salary where, you know, he's making three-ish, is it a flat three? Anyway, somewhere around there. Um, and so, I don't know, like they've been really, 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 really um, clingy with players and really kind of against cutting someone who's not making just a minute, you know, the minimum league salary. Or they're, they're really even been, I mean, for most guys, you know, obviously teams don't want to just sign someone and then get rid of them, you know, a month or two later um, for the most part. But like anybody, they, they will always try to do some roster uh, jiu-jitsu to keep them on. Um, and not, not that I, you know, they're going to like fake an injury to put Owings on the DL or something, but I have a feeling that no, they're not done with Owings. Um, if only because, you know, I don't think that Moore in a way likes to just like concede that the signing was bad right away. They're going to try to figure something out, give him more time. So as much as I want to say Owings is done, I'm not hundred percent convinced that he is done. Um, He's, you know, he's probably done enough damage, um, but we'll see where he goes from here. But, yeah, I, I still think he's going to be around for a little bit. Yeah, and just to push back a little bit, I mean, I don't think any team should let a guy go after just one month. I mean, at least a guy that they believed in, because anyone could have a bad month. Now, you can question whether or not bringing Chris Owings in for $3 million in the first place was a good or bad idea. That's, that's certainly, you know, anyone could have a bad month. Uh, now, you know, it's been 129 plate appearances going into Tuesday's action and he has been so, so bad. I mean, among mm-hmm. players that qualify for the batting title, which surprisingly Owings does, he has been the worst hitter in baseball. Yeah. So, you know, Matt, we know that Dayton Moore does have this kind of, like, um, allegiance to players, which there is a human element to it. I don't, it's not like, you know, fantasy baseball or uh, OTP where you can just release guys willy-nilly. I mean, you actually have to bring a guy into your office and tell him he's out of a job. But... You know, is is there what point do you think the Royals will 
cut ties with Chris Owings if he continues to to be this bad because he doesn't really show any signs of getting better. I mean, if, if anything, he's getting kind of worse over the last couple of weeks. I don't know. I think he probably lingers around the the lineup for about a month, you know, playing rarely, and then then he get finally gets cut sometime in June. He is four for his last fifty-two. That's just huh. it's remarkable. <laughs> And and he's been he's had some bad luck with batting average and balls in play, but I mean that's just really bad. I I I keep going back. I've mentioned this a couple of times. They stuck with Blaine Boyer until August last year. Now some of that time was on the disabled. Well, actually, quite a bit of it was on the disabled list. But I mean that's just kind of an illustration of how long they're willing to go with some of these guys. Blaine Boyer, you just showed right from the get go, he was not major league quality anymore. Uh, and you know Chris Owings, we'll see. I'm I'm willing to give him a little bit longer leash just because this season is, is not going to go anywhere anyway. And, and, and frankly, now with Lopez on the roster, like who is Owings really blocking at this point? Like Umberto Arteaga, I'm not overly concerned about Arteaga getting called up to the big leagues at this point. So I'm okay with Owings being on the roster as kind of a uh, emergency utility player if Lopez ever gets hurt. Um, that's fine. Uh, but as long as yeah, he's not playing every day. Owings can still be blocking people. Um, you know, even if he's on the major, even if he and Lopez are both on the major league roster, because, you know, there's, God forbid, Owen starts four times a week and Lopez only gets three. Now, right. you know, I'm sure they didn't just call up Lopez to have him, you know, ride the bench for 70% of the week. Um, but they're going to find somewhere to play Owens, which means that, you know, maybe three days a week he's going to be over uh, Gutierrez or, or Dozier or, um, Mondesi or Merrifield. I mean, there's going to be, he's got to take the place of someone and everyone below him, as far as who he could, you know, take the place of is, uh, you know, probably a longer term piece or uh, better, better than him. You know, a guy you want to give time to not Chris Owings. Um, so I don't know. And I actually don't think it's actually Owings that's in danger of losing his roster spot. It's probably guys with less, more limited utility like Terrence Gore and yeah. of course, what do you do with Lucas Duda when he gets off the injured list? Because he doesn't really have an obvious role, uh, and maybe Ryan O'Hearn is someone who gets sent down to kind of work on a swing. I don't know, but those you know at least Owings can play a lot of positions. He can pinch run for you. He can be a defensive replacement. Lucas Duda really does one thing. He can he can hit and play first base, I guess, and that's about it. Um, Terrence Gore is probably even more one dimensional. He can be a pinch runner and fill in an outfield like once every three weeks. So. Um, those guys don't seem to make as much sense on a roster than Owings. That being said, Owings has been really, really bad. You almost think, like, man, we could just find someone in our minor leagues that can do uh, what he's doing at the plate, at least. Well, we know Chris Owings is not going to be part of the future, most likely. But uh, Matthew Lamar had an interesting article this week looking at who might be part of the future and who won't be. Uh, Matthew, do you want to kind of explain your piece a little bit? Yeah, so there had been discussion in the Royals Review comments about, you know, who is going to be around when the Royals are next good for, you know, a long time, really. And I thought I would stratify that um, into sort of tiers. Um, so I I put the core players, so players who you would, uh, who are most likely going to be around in the next time. Um, and then I put uh, potential pieces. So these are guys who have either limited upside or enough questions about them that even if they're under team control, you know, they might not be a part of the rebuild, but they could be. And with good playing that they could play themselves up into a core piece. Um, I think uh, Barlow right now is, is a really good indicator there. He's been very good. If he keeps playing well, he'll be he'll move from, you know, a potential piece to a core player. And then the Royals just have a bunch of guys who are just like just guys, you know. They'll they'll be out of baseball in five or six years, and they'll be you know, uh, trivia names, you know, like uh, Ryan Ryan Friel was, or uh, you know Josh Fields, right? Was that his name? I don't even the third baseman, Josh Fields. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't even know if he was actually on the was he on the Ross? I guess he wouldn't with me. But... Is it Josh Josh Anderson? There's, oh, you know, Josh those, Anderson. Those... Yeah, yeah. There's so many yeah, Joshes they, to keep track, of. right? <laughs> Josh Anderson. Anyway, sorry. Who? Yeah, that's a that's, that's, a, that's a deep cut. <laughs> but those are exactly the kind of guys that you'll be like, oh, they were on the roster. Like you forget about them. Um, and then you've got the like the uh, uh, the old guard, you know, uh, Prez and Duffy uh, and Gordon, who you know their contracts run out uh, in the next couple of years, um, but were a part of the last rebuild. 
And then you've got the guys who are like the the bad veterans, this is what I call them, you know. Um, maybe a more accurate title would be the pointless veteran group, um, as not all of them are bad. Uh, are, are bad. Ian Kennedy's pretty good in the bullpen, for instance, um, but uh, they're all pretty useless in the long term. They don't have much trade value, and um, how they perform is sort of irrelevant. Yeah, it was a pretty interesting exercise, and I, I do appreciate uh, Soren Petro at 810. Uh, the program had a nice discussion about this, and, and he was, you know, he, he liked the exercise, quibbled with a few of the selections, uh, but it was actually a really good discussion. So I, I kind of want to do that, too. I mean, I think we can, we don't have to go over the whole piece. We'll post it for anyone that hasn't read it yet. But, um, uh, you know, there's a few guys that maybe on the, that I think even you would admit were, you know, probably difficult uh, on where you would categorize them. First of all, the core guys, I mean, we can talk about them first. Hunter Dozier, Whit Merrifield, Adalberto Mondesi, Brad Keller, and Richard Lovelady. It's a pretty good list, I think. Um, Sean, do you have any quibbles with that? Is that kind of who you'd have as the core guys at this point? Yeah, I mean, for long-term value, I mean, we're all eventually going to die, so nobody has any long-term value. <laughs> other eat than eat that. Our, eat Arby's. Eat Arby's. But no, guys. other than that, no. I think that's about right. Um I think there's still some guys. I think Keller and Lovelady um, are two guys that they make sense to be on there, but I do think that they're not quite. I think I think there's a tier within that tier where there's guys that are you know almost certainly going to be around for five years from now, whereas Keller and Lovelady have kind of been showing that maybe they're not you know long long term pieces. Um, yes, they are team controlled, but we'll see where they end up. Um, but yeah, I think that mostly makes sense. I always wonder like what, with the relievers being so volatile, like how much we can really project a guy like Richard Lovelady being solid for the next five, six years. Uh, but that being said, he's, you know, he's put together pretty good numbers in the minors and, and he is, you know, young and, and cost controlled. So, um, yeah, I think potentially a core piece, uh, some, a couple of guys that didn't make the core group, but you have as potential pieces, uh, we'll just point a couple of them, Jorge Soler and Ryan O'Hearn. I guess first we'll start with Soler, Matthew. Why Why is Jorge Soler not a core piece? I think mainly because of injuries. Um, you know, Soler um, is really talented, as as we can sort of all tell. Um, this year he's having a good good year. He's hitting 14% above league average. Um, but like if you look at his career, he played one season – with more than 86 games played. Just one, and that one season was in 2015, and the games played was 101 games. So he's not played anything close to a full season in six years. And I think, you know, that matters. Um, You can't impact a game if you don't stay on the field. Um, I think the Royals probably consider him to be a core player, which is fine. But in terms of, of reality... I don't know if he's going to be healthy two weeks from now, let alone good two years from now. And then Ryan O'Hearn. Uh, Sean, I know you've been a big Ryan O'Hearn supporter for years. Do you want to make the case for him being a core piece, or has his kind of lackluster start this year tempered some of those thoughts? Um, I mean, for his career, now now I know we're talking small sample size, but his overall career, he's got a 120 WRC+, plus, so 20% better than league average hitter. I mean, I don't think we all – I'm fairly certain we all knew he wasn't going to be, you know, almost a 600 slugging, three, um, 330 whatever ISO player. Um, but, yeah, I'm a little surprised by the, the 78 WRC plus this year. Um, but you know, that does come with like a 218 BABIP. He seems to be hitting the ball fairly well. Strikeouts haven't really like skyrocketed. They're, I think, slightly, uh, better, whatever, slightly above league average. Um, so I don't know. There's, uh, I still think there's a lot to like about him. Um, he's hitting more ground balls, uh, this year than he did last year. So I think there's some funky bad ball data, but there are times the play where he just looked bad. Um, and, you know, like I said, we can't expect what we got last year, but there's times, especially against left-handers, and, of course, uh, it'd be great if you got, you know, chances to hit against left-handers more often. Um, but, yeah, I still think he's a core piece in the sense that he's someone that you're going to prioritize giving bats to, at bats to um, over guys like, you know, I know Ryan, uh, Matt had uh, – Brett Phillips on there or Terrence Gore. Those are guys that I would prioritize, you know, behind the O'Hearns. Um, 
and you know Barlow and maybe even Gutierrez. I think what what does give me pause is putting him as a core piece is that um, they have Nick Prado in the minors, and Nick Prado seems I know he struggled quite a bit, but he seems much more like their kind of first baseman that they're looking yeah. for, whereas Horhern is not like their profile at all, and and so I think you know if Prado does show anything and gets his way to the big leagues, like O'Hearn will be the guy that kind of gets pushed to the waist, or gets moved to DH, which, you know, is a core, is a DH core piece, maybe. Um, but but I don't think he, he, I don't think he figures pro, as prominently in their plans as maybe some of those, some of those other guys. And so I, I can kind of, I can live with putting him as a, as a uh, uh, potential piece. Um, yeah. Jake Junis is a potential piece. Brad Keller is a core piece. Is there that much daylight though between the two of them, Matthew? I, you know, I know Keller got, had a great rookie season. He's had some struggles as of late. Um, what, what's kind of the expectation going forward with him? Yeah, I'd say the main difference between Keller and Junis is just age. Um, you know, Brad Keller is twenty-three, and uh, Junis is uh, twenty-six. I want to say, um, and. Uh, or he, yeah, 26, almost 27. So, you know, there's a three-plus-year age difference, um, and that really matters. Um, what also matters is um, Junis is under control for uh, two fewer years than, uh, than or one fewer, I guess, than, than Keller. Um, so, so I think that matters. And also, I guess the third thing is um, Junis so far is in, in his career has been like, okay, like, you know, ERA and FIP in the mid fours. That's nothing to write home about. That's not, you know, terrible. Um, it's good value if you're playing at the league minimum, but that's not a guy you want to keep around after his free agency uh, hits. And one guy I thought that was really interesting that you put as a potential piece was Terrence Gore. Uh, I mean, are you saying potential piece as like a future pinch runner when the Royals make it back to the World Series? Or do you see a bigger role for Terrence Gore? I think that if the Royals had more mm, oomph, so to speak, they would play him in the field more. Uh, or what? Say that again. Oomph. <laughs> if they had more... That's a, is that one of those analytical terms? Well, one yes. more time. Oomph. Balls. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, I would like to see Terrence Gore hit more often. Uh, we don't really know what he can do against big league pitching. Um I want to see, you know, what if he was Billy Hampton, who is a terrible hitter, but produces decent value because he's a great base runner, you know, um, and a great fielder. So I don't know. He, he could be. Um, that may be a little bit aggressive, but also Gore isn't all that old, and they've got him under control for, you know, for a few years. So, um, yeah, and also as a defense and base runner kind of guy, he can stay around forever. And then we have the just guys. We Saran Petro really loved that term, just guys. And most of them were just, you know, guys we've seen shuttled in from Omaha's relievers, you know, the Glenn Sparkmans, Kevin McCarthy's. Uh, a couple of interesting names, uh, Jorge Lopez, who the Royals got last year in the Mike Moustakas trade. He's in the rotation right now. Pretty mixed results. Um, it sounds like you're kind of seeing him as a reliever long term. Is that right? Yeah, and also he's, he's, not, he's not good. I, I don't know. I don't know how to say that without more tact. He's he's just he's not great, um, and uh, so in the big leagues, his ERA is about five and a half. Uh, his FIP is almost five. But if you look back at his minor league numbers, um, with the Royals in AAA last year, ERA of four. With the Brewers in AAA last year, ERA of five point six, um, and in with the Brewers in Triple A in 2016, his ERA was 6.8. Like he hasn't even showed good results in the upper minors. Um, he's 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 not a not a good pitcher. I I like his stuff. His raw stuff is pretty good. His arm side action on his fastball is like chef's kiss if it works. But you you need more than one gimmick unless your gimmick happens to be Mariano Rivera's uh, cutter uh, t- to be a good pitcher. Sean, do you see that equation changing if he does move to the bullpen? Can he become like a a core piece or at least a potential piece if he if the Royals move him to the bullpen? No, he has Brandon Marauer syndrome. Um, uh, everybody on Twitter is going to talk about how good his stuff is, and it doesn't matter. He's going to have a four five plus ERA. So I'm entirely unconvinced that in the I know it's only 100 ish innings, but I I 
do not see Lopez being a major league player in any capacity except for um, like the long, the Chris Young long man role. Um, I, I would not want him at this point as in a rotation. And I certainly at this point don't want him getting high leverage innings. Um, I just don't think that his stuff is, is any good. Um, I'm happy to be wrong on that, but I have never been impressed with anything. Even when he, he's with the Brewers, he, he debuted back in 2015. Um, and I just, I don't know, always never been big on his stuff. So I, I'm not, not a fan. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I think I've been a little higher on Lopez than, than maybe you guys, but I mean, he is not that young. He's 26 years old, um, and if he's not gonna kind of put it together now, then like he's because his opportunity is gonna slip away pretty quickly. And um, uh, you know, I was looking at guys that kind of um, debuted and didn't perform that well initially, uh, and I thought, well, there'll be some guys that you know turned it around pretty quickly, but there's not. <laughs> it's 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 uh you know a lot of most pitchers when when they start out pretty badly. Um, they don't really typically get better. And there's some exceptions to that. Roy Halladay, you know, was notoriously had a terrible rookie season and figured things out. But, um, you know. Randy Johnson. Yeah, Randy Johnson, uh, you know, worked on his command and got better. But typically, if you're not good to start, you're not going to get a lot better. And the guys that are good are usually good right out of the gate. So um, I'm willing to give him 30 starts this year. I'm even willing to maybe start out next year with him in the rotation because I don't expect much out of next year for the Royals. But, um, yeah, that clock is definitely ticking. And, and, and really that's more because they don't have better options at this point. Like once those 2018 draft picks start coming up, um, he's he's probably got to go at that point. Yeah, he's just, man, just the fastball is just so, so bad. And, like, that's like a, that's like the one pitch you can't have just be awful, as, at least as a starter. Yeah. Because there's nobody out there that's just throwing curveballs as a starter that's just throwing two pitches. Because um, even Rich Hill, who throws a ton of curveballs, at least can throw a fastball a bit. But, man, his fastball, is, uh, Lopez's fastball is just so, so bad. So, I don't know. One guy who maybe seemed like a core piece not that long ago is now just a guy is Jorge Bonifacio, Matthew. And uh, talk about his fall from grace. What, what kind of makes him just a guy now? Um, so he is, um, are you pulling up his minor league hitting stats right now? They're, they're not good. Yeah. So that, that's the thing is, uh, you have to look at a player's big league stats, but also, you know, their minor league stats isn't you know, that carries meaning too. Uh, this year he's been real bad in triple A. Um, he's been pretty good in triple A in 2018 and 2017, but, um, the main thing for Bonifacio is that uh, he, at his peak, probably is an okay hitter who is not good at defense, and that just doesn't get you very far, um, especially when you're almost 26. And, you know, it, limit, it limits you to the corner outfield, and then even then, it's it's not, not a guy you want to play uh, long-term. Uh, you know, late innings is the type of player you take out for... Paulo Orlando, you know, he's Alex Rios, basically, uh, late season Alex Rios. So not very good. Yeah. It seems like the, that kind of profile just doesn't have a place in this today's game, except as maybe he's like a fourth outfielder. Uh, but even then you'd have to hit a lot better than he's hit. And yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't see much. I don't, I think the game, I think the Royals will be moving on from him before too long. I hate to say, and I, I, I totally not like a conspiracy theory guy, but man, He's been really bad after his his steroid, or excuse me, his PED suspension. Yeah. Like, I wonder how much that actually was, you know, pl- actually, you know, being, you know, what I mean to say. I, yeah. I wonder if there actually was. Was his performance know, his- enhanced by the yes, performance yes. enhancing drug? Yes, yes. I'm yes, sure yes. that's a legitimate question because yeah, he hit pretty well before his suspension, and then after that, I mean, he was terrible at the end of last year, and he hasn't really hit at all in the minors this year. So, and uh, he may not find himself in the organization for much longer if he. Continue, continues to struggle like that so it's an interesting piece and and definitely um read through it and and, and you may disagree with some of where uh matthew categorized them but i thought overall it was a pretty good assessment of where the organization is right now not as many core pieces they should really have for a uh, rebuilding team but the peak core pieces they do have i mean they're really good i mean you're talking about hunter dozier whit merrifield and about to those are i mean you know through six weeks at least that's like three of the top players in, in the American League right now, so that's at least a good place to start, so hopefully the Royals can add to that. You know, Nicky Lopez will be making his debut this week. 
I guess let's wrap things up just by giving us a little, uh, giving everyone a prediction on how he'll do the rest of the year. Uh, it, it can be his batting average, his WAR, his on base, his games played. <laughs> uh, but give us, uh, once you each of you give us some sort of prediction on how he'll do uh, the rest of the year. Sean, do you want to start? Um, my brother actually texted me today. Shout out to my brother. Um, about <laughs> he asked me uh, what the over under. I think he said fifty. He said fifty strikeouts for Lopez uh in the majors and i go well you know it depends on how much he plays um and like if he strikes out at like a 12 percent rate um which is basically league average um or excuse me it's it's way way less than league average it's like it would lead the majors um are pretty close to he would still over 400 plate appearances so, so strike out about 40 ish times and so i was like man do i really think he's gonna lead the league in, in effectively contact I don't know. Um, so I think a good over-under would be if he gets 400 plate appearances, does he strike out 50 times or not? Can I ask you guys that? What do you think? I am really curious to see how strikeout rate translates from the minors to the majors at this at this point in the game with the, the ungodly movement pitchers have, their velocity. I mean, it's a different game than it is in AAA. That being said, you know he is very good at making contact. Um, what was it? What was the over under again? Uh, 50, 50 strikeouts minimum of four hundred plate appearances. So, th- so basically a thirteen percent strikeout rate. I feel like I will take the under on that, but I, oh, okay. I uh, I don't really have any good uh, idea on what he'll do. Yeah, uh, Matt, what do you think? Under. So my prediction is I think he'll walk more than he strikes out in the big leagues. Really? In his yeah. debut year, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a bit of a hot take, but I want to believe. <laughs> it's a tough one, um, but I hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so back to the question. Yeah, I think um, I mean, I think he'll be a sub-100 WRC plus hitter. Um, probably come in at like 85-ish. Um but one, it'll be exciting if it means less Chris Owings, and two, you know, it'll be exciting to um, have another guy that you know, in theory, could be a long-term piece. Um, but you know, at least it's some a younger guy that we don't have to watch. You know, Chris Owings go four for a thousand or whatever he is at this point. Matthew, do you have uh, any predictions on uh, his offensive performance or his overall performance as a big leaguer? I think a walk more than strikeout. That's 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 all I know. Um, how much power he probably won't hit for very much power. Uh, how how good of a hitter he is in the big leagues, I think, will translate to uh, how how good of an average he has, right? How 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 much good contact he makes? Because I think this plate discipline is is not going to go away. Uh, so it's all down to really how well can he hit? Uh, you know, not not strike out or walk, just how well can he purely hit? Um, and I don't know. That's sort of the fun of it, though. I do. I do the, wonder. Uh, oh, good. The the Royals' record for rookies adjusted strikeout rate um, for Royals rookies is uh, a legend named Keith Lockhart. Oh yes, he was like a thirty-year-old rookie too. Yeah, he has the uh, an adjusted strikeout rate of forty-six. So he was sixty-six below. Oh wait, fifty-four. Fifty-four uh, below league average. So he. He and uh, Joe Keough back in 1969. I, th- I do think his strikeout rate will remain fairly low, but I wonder about his walk rate because uh, guys are just going to attack him, being a not you know not a power threat. Um, and, and major league pitchers are just so much better at throwing strikes than AAA guys. I, I just don't see him drawing all that many walks. Now, if he hits 360, you know, <laughs> then, then that will change, but. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's going to walk that much in the big leagues, at least initially, uh, until he develops maybe a little bit more power. But how didn't about you? Have a comp form on on chat? Didn't you say you had? Uh, uh, I was talking about trade value and just, and I just threw that out without really thinking. I talked about someone asked well, if the Royals traded him if he's not part of the future, and this is before he was called up. And I just kind of threw out Joey Wendell as a guy that was not a top prospect but put up good minor league numbers and walked, oh, yeah. walked a fair amount. And the was it the Indians traded him for Brandon Moss, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but good Brandon Moss ish. I yeah. mean, you know when. No, yeah, kind of toward the end of his career, but still a decent Brandon Moss. So 
I was just looking at trade value. I don't know. It was uh, for... Josh Kaiser. I uh, said Scott Hatterberg. Yes, Scott Hatterberg would be another one. And then uh, a name, who's the name I came up with today? Um, oh, David Fletcher of the Angels, a little bit like him. Like he doesn't, except he doesn't yeah. walk much, but he hardly ever strikes out either. He's a little more versatile and he can play the outfield, but um, he also put up pretty good numbers and I think AAA and wasn't really like a top prospect. So um, maybe, maybe, maybe there's some, some kind of comps out there and that's maybe something we can get into more as he, as uh, we get more data on Lopez. But uh, I want to ask over under on a hundred games played for Nicky Lopez at the big league level this year. So what if we so we, we've got 41 games down. So about 120 left. Uh, do you think we'll get in hundred games? No, I'm going to say under, I think 20, I could conceivably see him getting at least 20 days of kind of rotation off. So I'm going to say under. Matthew? Yeah, under two. If he gets injured at all, that that puts it uh, in pretty big jeopardy. Yeah, and I guess he could also get demoted as well. So, uh, yeah, but I'll be interested. I'm really interested in seeing how often he gets in the lineup. Uh, I have a feeling the first time he sits – uh, we're gonna get a lot of uh, a lot of tweets. Why is a Nicky Lopez in the starting lineup? And it'll be it'll be just like uh, the Nicky Lo- why is a Nicky Lopez on the roster uh, tweet. So, and maybe the Royals will change their tune on that too. So, uh, yeah, I guess that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Uh, Matthew, thanks so much for joining us. Sean, why don't you uh, take us on out? Um, I'm gonna start mixing it up every week. So this week's quote is gonna be "Chaos is a ladder." Is that, uh, is that what Ned, is that was that a Ned Yo's quote? That was a Nedrick or uh, uh, an Edard. Edhouse Ed Yost. Yeah, Edard Yost quote. But chaos is a ladder. That's our that's our sign off. Hey!